Deuteronomy 31. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 29. Maybe, perhaps, we will conclude the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Finishing the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And we started in Genesis in June of 2012, three and a half years ago. Boy, we're ripping right through this. <laughs> but it's been said, if you don't have a good understanding of Genesis and the first five books of Moses, you will not really have a good understanding of God or his character. And I think that's an absolute true statement. And as we conclude this uh, study of Moses and his books, Moses is nearing the end of his leadership. His days are over, is leading Israel. And there's a soberness that comes forth from Moses regarding the future of the children of Israel. Moses knows, and God will again tell Moses, my people are going to rebel, and I'm going to have to deal with them. And so the book of Deuteronomy, it's kind of a last warning uh, to Israel before they enter the promised land. Moses, he's faithful to give God's word to the people. Moses proclaims uh, what we would call the good, the bad, and the ugly future of Israel and as we, people of God, as we grow and become old like me and begin to look the grim reaper right in the eye, it becomes important that I proclaim God's word for what it is. And as a people, we begin to ponder how God's word affects each and every one of us. Israel is about to possess Canaan. Moses, he's going to give one of his last warnings to him, a wake-up call. You might even say a clarion call to Israel. And Moses has been told by God he's about to die. And as we approach death, and see it coming closer and closer, our popularity with men becomes less and less important and being understood about who we are as believers becomes more important. Moses, the prophet, the deliverer of Israel, their man of God, who's been their leader for 40 years now, it's been told by God, you're about to die, Moses. And I don't know how that would affect me. I think I would want to know if I were about to die. Uh, it frightens some people. Other people, it, it doesn't seem to scare some. All we do is change addresses, so it's no big deal. But um, And Moses, he begins to tell the people what a great honor it has been to be their leader. Well, that's not exactly what he had to say. <laughs> so let's look at chapter 31. We'll start in verse 14 
and we'll read through 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of foreign, foreigners of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods." Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to your children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be... When many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in their mouths or in their, their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today. Even before I have brought them to the land of which I swore to give to them. Therefore Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites that they bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? Gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you in the latter days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the works of your hands. Moses' words to the people are not good words. Moses is about to die, though. He's been told by God, you're going to die. So Moses wants to make sure the children of Israel hear God's word. Moses, he, he comes to the tabernacle of meeting, and he brings Joshua with him, and he's to inaugurate Joshua. 
Joshua will become Israel's new leader. And the Lord is not casual in what we would call casual in his appearance there. He appears in a pillar of cloud. And he's there at the door of the tabernacle. Now, this cloud is not like a little puff of smoke that it's there one moment and it's gone the next. No, this cloud hangs right there. And it's a witness to all of Israel that God is there. And we hear God speaking to Moses in his familiar way. He speaks to Moses face to face, as in conversation like you and I would have. God, he's been forthright with Moses. He declares in verse 16 through 21, and he declares what Moses already knows. What Moses is already thinking, God now declares. And God is full of mercy and grace, and he's very honest. He's very forthright with his people, Israel. I like the fact that God is honest with us. One of the things that most of us detest, you know, I think, in our world today is in our politicians and in their ability to avoid the truth. <laughs> they can be asked a direct question, and they will answer in an evasive way. They always speak politically correct. Political correctness, according to one leading candidate for president, he says, it's America's downfall. We're so concerned about being politically correct that we don't address the truth. And I think that is the truth. And the whole issue that confronts America now in the world, really, of terrorism, and it coming into the United States and into the free world, it's disguised around political correctness by our politicians. Most, almost entirely, radical Muslims are the ones bringing terrorism to the free world. That's a true statement. But you can't say that politically because... Uh, the politically correct speakers say the Muslim religion is a religion of peace. Uh, I like what Franklin Graham, Graham had to say about that. I like Franklin a lot. He, he says, the Muslim religion is a violent religion. I can go with that. <laughs> Therefore, let us hear God's word to Moses for he's about to die in God's word to Israel. He says, these people, Moses, they will rise up and they're going to play the harlot. And they're going to play the harlot with the gods of foreigners in the promised land, in the land that I'm going to give them. They will forsake me. I'm the true and living God, and they're going to break the covenant that I have made with them. This is not overspeak by God. God is simply telling it like it is. God is trying to warn the people, and he's doing it through Moses. And God is simply saying, here is what will happen. 
and it's going to happen in the very near future. My people will play the harlot and break my covenant with them. That's harsh language. To play the harlot with foreign gods is perhaps the most offensive thing a person or a nation can do to a righteous God. Playing the harlot is a consecrated effort by a person in selling themselves out to a debased lifestyle. Playing the harlot not only is committing myself over to pleasurable sin, it's making a profit in doing it. Thus harlotry. Playing the harlot is choosing and practicing evil knowingly. God associates harlotry with worship of foreign gods and idols. That is what harlotry is to God when you speak religiously. We have the Ten Commandments, uh, and we're told not to lie and steal, and we can break those commandments, and that's offensive to God because all sin is offensive. But harlotry is an in-your-face transgression against God. And when Israel breaks God's covenant, which God made with them, the covenant of the Mosaic law, then Israel is going to experience God's anger. And he will forsake them. And it's he will hide his face from them. We don't hear that too often in Scripture, in scripture where God says, I'm going to hide my face from my people. The troubles that will come upon Israel are so severe that Israel will cry out and say, God is no longer with us. That's a, that's a frightful place to be. We all go through trials. I don't care if you're new in Christ or an old-timer in Christ. You're going to go through trials. It's God's way of refining us. And I don't like it when I'm chastised by God. But there is one worse scenario for me. Now, we know that the Lord, uh, whom the Lord loves, he rebukes. We, we, we understand that. But a condition that I consider worse is God giving me the silent treatment. The silent treatment is when I no longer am hearing from God. And I begin to think, I'm not learning what God wants me to learn, and he's being silent towards me. It's when I begin to feel or think God is simply tired of working with me when I begin to think I'm a lost cause. <laughs> and when I experience this silent treatment, I have to rely upon God's word where he says, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I wish my wife were here to hear this. In my wonderful marriage with Miss Lori, when she really thinks that I have missed the mark, <laughs> and 
she will not argue with me. She will not debate with me. On very rare occasions, she will give me the silent treatment. Her thinking is something like this. Why even bother to talk to that imbecile? There's no hope for him. <laughs> and it's a sorrowful place for me because I don't know where to apologize or what to do, you know. And it's sad when I get the silent treatment from my wife. But God is about to give Israel his nation, his people, his called out one. He's about to give them the silent treatment. He says, he tells Moses, I will forsake my people. I will hide my face from them. Israel has broken God's covenant of law with them. And sin always separates us from our Heavenly Father. We know that. Israel knows that. And the sin that particularly separates Israel from their God is harlotry. When his people willfully choose to worship and bow down to foreign or other gods. Here's the good news. We have a new covenant with God. We have Christ between us and God. The new covenant is when God looks upon sinful man through the cross of Jesus. Mankind being guilty of sin, even harlotry, is viewed by God at the cross of Jesus, and we have forgiveness if we seek it. As Christians, us being under the cross covenant, we never hear God say, like he did to Israel under the law, I will forsake you and hide my face from you. We don't hear that under the new covenant. And I thank God for that. All of God's wrath in the new covenant was poured out upon Jesus. And it was poured out for my sins and your sins. Jesus became our sacrifice. He became our guilt substitute. Therefore, all of humanity after the cross should gather at the foot of the cross for forgiveness. But a lot of people never understand that. A lot of people never turn to Christ, never realize their need of a Savior. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd and how we are the sheep of his pasture. Let me read you uh, a couple verses from John 10, verses 10 and 11. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. How wonderful it is to hear what our Lord is willing to do for us. Our Lord Jesus cares about the quality of life 
that we live here on the earth. And he cares about our eternal life. But let Jesus' words, let them, let them sink down and find their place in your heart. Allow them to be a part of our meditation. Considering the blessings of being a Christ-believing person. Great blessings. We not only have life by believing, but here we just read that Jesus gives us a more abundant life. In verse 11, 11 tells us, Jesus the good shepherd gives his life for us, his sheep. So think with me here. Not only are we given life, we're given life a life of meaning and a life of quality. We as believers are allowed to walk the higher road. When people sometimes complain to me that they've been done wrong by another person or something, I will often say, take the higher road. Don't retaliate in like manner. Take the higher road. We're allowed to do that. We're allowed to walk that higher road. In the Jewish religion and in the Jewish mind, eternal life is associated with quality of life as also everlasting life. We get to live a life of righteousness before our God. And as I grow more and more older, I thank God for the great blessing of giving me a life of meaning when I would not have chosen a life of meaning. Not because I'm a pastor. I mean, I get to do that, and I thank God that he allows me to do that. But I get to be one of the sheep of God's pasture. I have the opportunity I have the challenge before me to live an obedient, pleasing life before my God. A main ingredient into this abundant life in Christ is joy. Not a giddy, momentarily happy emotion, but a joyful, happy way of life. We're allowed to do that. We're allowed to live that way. In John 15, 11, uh, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants, he desires our joy to be like his joy. And he desires that it remain. That our joy can be full like the joy of Jesus is amazing. And there's many, many verses that are written about being joyful to the Lord. But let me get you to turn to John 15. We'll just kind of conclude with this. And we'll look at verses 12 through 17. And it's a conclusion by Jesus about being joyful. 
John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus starts this little passage with the greatest command possible for a believer. Lay down your life for your friends. For there's no greater love. Jesus tells us love completely. Love all the way. And if we will dare to demonstrate this kind of love, Jesus declares that we are his friends. Jesus continues, if we demonstrate this selfless love, we're no longer servants, but again, friends. And as friends, he says, I will make known to you all the things I have heard from my father. Notice that association there. Knowledge of the Father is a great blessing from Jesus, the Son, to us, his friends. A great blessing to know the Father the way the Son knows the Father. Jesus also wants us to know a, a, a truism here. We did not choose him, but he chose us. Now, being chosen by Christ is a sermon in itself, and we won't get into all the details of that. But Jesus is telling all believers, all Christians, I chose you. I selected you. I sought you out. And I sought you out to give you salvation. And here's what Jesus desires in return. So that our joy will be complete. He says, I've done this for your own joy and happiness. And then he says, I want you to bear fruit, fruit that remains, and fruit is a blessing. So we are to be praying, we're to be asking the Father for the opportunity to love one another. Let me love my fellow man. For us to be a fruitful Christian, to live a life of obedience in being fruitful, brings our shepherd joy. It brings Christ joy when we are obedient to him. Nothing delights our Lord more than for us to love one another. Didn't he make it simple? Didn't, didn't the Christian life really get simple? And if you can get a grip on that, if you can understand this, love, loving one another becomes so much easier to do because I no longer look at you so much, 
I just realized that it brings my Lord joy if I love you. It brings Jesus great joy for us to love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. I'm so glad we're not under the law anymore. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for grace. Father God, we do appreciate the fact that God the Father looks at us through the cross, Jesus. What a blessing that is. We do not stand before you guilty. We stand before you forgiven. And we thank you for that. What a blessing it is just to be in right standing with you, Lord. What a blessing it is to know that uh, even if we sin, there's forgiveness. And we do sin, Lord. Hopefully we do not sin um, choosing to sin or do the sin or harlotry, Lord. But even if we do, there's forgiveness. Thank you for your great love towards us. Keep us pure before you, Lord. Give us a heart that desires to please you by loving one another and by loving you, Lord, in return. So here, let us start this new year and dedicated to you, Lord, dedicated into loving one another and thus bringing you great joy. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. We want to love one another and cause great happiness and joy in your heart. So help us to do that. Thank you again for this body of believers, Lord. We do pray for those that are traveling. Bring them home safe, Lord, and give them good vacations and times with family. But we thank you, Lord, again for your great love towards us. And let us love one another. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.